So good to be here with you guys. I love this room. I love the meet and greet time. You know, I used to hate it, uh, you know, back when I used to go to church or it was awkward or whatever, you know, but I just, you know, it's just family here. So I've, I've realized I've grown, I've grown into an extrovert. It wasn't always that way. I think the Lord may be that way. It was just buried by brokenness. But anyways, just love the family that's in here. Love that time. Um, I'm going to invite up Mr. John Polino to the stage. Um, if you don't know, uh, our lead pastor, Joe, is out of town. He's officiating a wedding of our two very own young adults, Josh and Jasmine. So give it up for them. We got married last night. So I know a number of our people were at that wedding in New Jersey, uh, where Jasmine's from. Um, but Joe started something we're doing this year is having a scripture reading to begin our sermon. And uh, Joe, you know, he did tell me, like, we're going to keep doing this when you preach. So I was faithful to do it. I had this whole bit worked out where I was going to prank Joe. And I had a whole different scripture. I was like, John, this awesome dude. John's serious about the things to be serious about, but he also likes to have a good time. So I was like, come on, let's prank Joe. He's not here, but, like, I know he's going to listen to this recording. Probably... I mean, I imagine, like, he's so eager. He's got it downloaded for his flight later today. Maybe it's tomorrow in his quiet time. But he's going to hear this whole thing and this whole bit. I didn't share this with Lacey because I know she's going to tell me that's a bad idea. And your sermon's already too long. So I scrapped all that. But then I didn't tell John. And then I changed the scripture reading. So Victoria, everybody, everybody wave at Victoria and Eric and Carlos. Shout out to our faithful servants. She's going to be on her toes today. I think the second to last slide... I think that verse, we're going to do that one. Um, so I think, I, think, I think we do have this, actually. It's in my sermon. So John is going to read the scripture, and then he's going to say, this is the word of God, and we're going to say, thanks be to God. Liturgy is not my strong suit. Um, some churches say praise be to God. Some churches stand. If you want to stand, you're welcome to. Um, anyway, so John 7, and then I'll explain why we're doing this in a second. So take it away. Okay, so our scripture for today is John 7, 37 through 39, which says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, John. Joe's still probably a little nervous listening to the recording that this sermon's going to go off the rails. So mission accomplished. Um, but I'm going to come back to that scripture in a minute, but I just want to give a little bit of context um, for what we're doing this morning. Donnie talked about the five circles of church. And so I just want to bring clarity to this word of the year for us, right? As a church, it's easy to do things. It's easy to have ideas, right? But we want to be a people that are tuned in to God and his voice and his leadership, right? And we start in the scripture, but we, we pray and we seek the Lord and say, Lord, what are you highlighting? What do you have for us this year? We believe you're still alive. You're still speaking. You're, you're leading your church. And so, you know, we're in that prayer and fast time. Matthew 11, come to me. And coming out of that, we really sense the Lord leading us on a journey, right? And it's part of that overarching Antioch movement word of multi-generational family on mission, but what we're saying here in Antioch, Dallas, what we believe the Lord has for us this year is to walk with Jesus together, 
right, to walk with Jesus together, to learn how do we do this? How do we experience the life of Jesus and the ways of the church together as a family this year? And in the context of our three-year word for us, so God is taking us on a journey. This church has been around for a good while, but we're in a different era. We're in a new season now. God is taking us on a journey from a spiritual greenhouse to a spiritual farm. And if that sounds like cool language, but you don't know what that means, just two sermons ago. Go listen to that. I'm not going to explain it all now. Um, But the five circles of church, I want to clarify, this isn't like some cool new model of like, this is a new way to do church that Antioch invented. Like, no, we may have put the graphic together and some of the language there, but this is just studying the scripture, reading the Bible, looking at the New Testament church and saying, how does the church live? How did they practice the way of Jesus? After he ascended and he sent the church forth, how did they do that, right? And so studying that, we've seen, okay, there's kind of these five circles where you see the church gathering and walking out the ways of Jesus, right? So we're just saying, if we want to read the Bible and see our lives look like that, you kind of have to do the Bible, right? It's actually not that complicated. If you want your life to look like this, you kind of have to do it. And so as a church, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to do this, and we kind of put it in these five categories, these five circles of the church. And you see this kind of an arrow graphic that this actually God who's at work in this, right? These aren't like five different siloed separate things. There's a progression of God moving through these circles that the church is actually part of what God is doing, the life and the joy and the meaning of the church is what God is doing in and through us. And it's propelling the church into the world right? It's like the church, Zach Dane, our former lead pastor, used to share this quote all the time. The church is like the only organization on earth that doesn't exist solely for its members, right? We're a people with one eye on who's in the family and one eye on who's out, right? We exist also for those who are not here yet. And that's my story. I didn't grow up in the church. I got saved because the church displayed the love of God and welcomed me into family. And it was seeing the spiritual family walk out the ways of Jesus together that then I was drawn to the Lord, right? Then I was brought in to circle one. So today we're going to talk about circle one. And I have to kind of give a little disclaimer, right? So circle one's a little unique, me and Jesus, your personal devotional life, because the rest of these are about, you know, how we as a church gather and do the things of Jesus, and then how individually we're all sent out to be witnesses in the world, right? Right, mission, like Donnie said, isn't just missionaries going to a different nation. It's not just like a weak little short-term trip. It's not just when you share the gospel, right, with a stranger. That's all part of it, but it's just our lifestyle of wherever we are, living on mission, being witnesses in the world, But circle one is like, it's the foundation. It's the root of it all. It is the starting point. It is like the most important circle to get right because I believe that circle one unlocks everything in the other circles. So today, we're going to talk mostly about your relationship with God. So say me and Jesus. Say me and Jesus. Right. So it's your relationship with God, not anybody else's. It's your relationship with God. God has brought you in. Jesus is drawing you into the life that he has, and he wants to walk with you. Right? That's the starting point of the church is, are you in Christ? Are you in him? Right? But while we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about that, I do want to just clarify this does relate to the other circles, right? We're not like independent Christian where it's just me and Jesus and I don't need the church. Like that's 100% not what he's called us to. He's called us, he's called us to be in him and to be in him means we're together. We're one body in him collectively. And so, you know what makes the other circles awesome? Circle one. You know what makes a good D group or a good life group? When you show up and everybody's full in God, 
right? If you show up and everybody's full in God, everybody has prioritized circle one. Everybody is every single day walking in Jesus, abiding in him, getting filled up in the Lord, choosing the one most important thing to anchor our lives in. If everybody shows up to life group having done that, that's an awesome life group. That's the one you want to be a part of. We all have been part of some death groups, right? I have led some death groups that it's like, it is not fun to be here. It is not enjoyable, right? And there's a lot of reasons that happens. It's okay. Some of you are in death groups now. Don't raise your hand, but it's true. That's okay. I've been in that, right? It could be my life group. They don't even know. I'm not clarifying. I'm just kidding. They're awesome. Um, but there's a lot of reasons that happens. But I'm, I'm a, I am a firm believer that the most important thing is circle one. And if we get this, if we really get this, there is a natural overflow and a progression to these other circles, right? Nobody else can take you to circle one. Nobody else can carry that. It doesn't matter how many live groups you show up to. It doesn't how many church services of a great worship experience or a sermon. No amount of that is going to drive you to owning your relationship with God, right? None of that is going to sustain your life in Jesus on the day to day. And the light, what all of the world and the devil and your flesh throw at you, all those things are not going to like, it's not going to carry you through that. You have to go there. You have to own this, right? But I want to help you do that. And I feel like the Lord highlighted two things. Like I literally, most of my slides are just scriptures anyway. I do have some bullet points. Like I will say, <sighs> I'm coming off of a, a two and a half day conference at Antioch Waco. So I'm like all swirly and like filled up in the Lord, mentally, physically, who knows. And so I'm kind of a natural, spontaneous guy. I worked really hard on this sermon. My wife said, this is the best sermon I've ever prepared, which, and, and she's a good wife because she'll give the honest feedback. Like she'll tell me, she's always telling me that's, you were on a tangent, you got to cut out, that's just fluff, trim it down. This was like so linear and so clear, but like, I don't really know if we're going to hit all this today, but the Lord has a word. Like I literally could stand up here and preach all this stuff, but I was like, Lord, I have too much. What do you want to highlight? So here's the two things. I think this is on a slide. So Victoria, so far we're kind of following actually. Um, Lord highlighted two things as I was waiting on him. I feel like this is what the Lord said. Number one, I feel like so clear, he said, I want you to communicate my desire for circle one. I want you to communicate my desire for my people. And number two, I want you to share just some of the things you've learned from a life of consistent and vibrant devotional life, despite many challenges and many hard things in the day in and day out trying to maintain that. What are some of the challenges to that? I actually have a whole bullet point slide on those later. I feel so proud. It's not my norm. Maybe we'll see that later, hopefully. But um, in this, why did I feel like the Lord spoke? I want you to communicate my desire. Because even as, even as I'm bringing up this topic, most of us are like a little seasoned in the Lord. Most of us in this room have probably tried to do circle one. Like it's probably a priority to most of you. I think I'm preaching to the choir for the most part. And if not, I have good news for you. This is awesome. This is what you were made for, right? Joe highlighted this. Last week, he kind of graded, he, he did a really good devotional life sermon last week. I was like, I was going to say a lot of that stuff, Joe, so I don't want to do now. But he talked about this, like in Genesis, you see God creating Adam and Eve, walking with them in the garden. He didn't create Adam and Eve to take something from them. He didn't need them. They weren't primarily servants of God. He created them to just enjoy his creation, to walk and to rule and reign and to bless them. 
And if we look at Revelation, where our life is headed, where the world is headed, the ultimate destiny of all of life is headed right back to the place of God dwelling in the midst of his people, blessing them, ruling and reigning, enjoying his fellowship, enjoying his relationship. The problem is we spend so much of our life fixated on the things that are temporary, and we're well aware of that. We're well aware of this desire to have like a real vibrant life in God, a real experience of walking with God, a real loving relationship with God. We have that desire, yet we're also well aware of all the other desires and apathy and inconsistencies of us to maintain that, right? That, that wrestle in the flesh. And I'm up here preaching not because I'm perfect. I'm up here preaching because I am so aware of that wrestle. Like, every day, that's like one of the things I pray the most is, God, I want to desire you. Stir a passion. What we're just thinking, like, Lord, stir a passion. Like, I know you're the most worthy, beautiful thing, but I also know that half the time I'm not choosing you. And so every day I'm wrestling with God to stir up my heart, right? I'm aware of my failings. And the thing is, a lot of us, as we think about this, are flooded with self-condemnation. We're already, some of you are already just evaluating like, man, I want to have a quiet time, but dude, it's boring. Like I, I, I make a plan and then I just, the next day I, I don't wake up or I try to open my Bible and it's super boring or yeah, I want to really pray more, but I pray for like 30 seconds and I don't know where to go next, right? Like we're, we're flooded with self-condemnation where we're, now we are thinking that, you know what? I'm just not that great of a Christian. God is disappointed in me because I've not had a consistent devotional life. God is looking down on me, and there's other people that, like, somehow they're made better. They're just better able to experience God. Marshall, the way he talks, like, I don't even, like, understand that. I feel like he's just better than me. He's just, like, made for this, and, like, I'll never have any kind of experience of the Lord. And I want to tell you, all that is not true. That is all garbage. So today, I pray the spirit of discernment will help you filter out all that self-condemnation and receive the desire of the Father, that you know what fuels a consistent devotional life, you know what makes it vibrant and awesome? It's just his love. It's his desire. It's his choice. It's actually his pursuit. He is pursuing us way more than we ever pursue him. And he's just beckoning us to take his hand. This is a picture Donnie had this morning in our production meeting. I'm so excited for today because, like, the Lord has already spoken so much. So I'm going to share a couple things from this morning. Um, so in our little run-through meeting, we took some time to wait on the Lord, and Donnie got a picture of walking with the son Alder and how, you know, he can be prone as he wants to, like, run and walk free and do all this fun stuff on his own. He can, like, trip and fall and stumble often. But when, like, when Donnie sticks out his hand, when Alder will choose to take Donnie's hand, and when they walk together, he'll never trip. He'll never fall. And, and Donnie was just sensing, like, the Lord is extending his hand in love this morning and not in condemnation. He just simply wants you to take his hand to walk with him, right? Um, Alex was just sensing the delight of God over us. It was the first thing that he said, just the, the delight of God over us. And when we choose not to go through the motions in life, we're choosing to like try to be aware of that delight. We're choosing, we have an opportunity today to experience the delight of God as we open ourselves up to him. He has more for us and we're all aware of that. So don't be condemned that God has more for you. Like rejoice. Like my devotional life, I hope 10 years from now is like kind of laughing at what it is right now. Like it's that much better that God has more for us. That tomorrow, if I wake up or I have a rough day and like I'm dealing with the junk of my heart, God has more for me and I can just turn back and there's grace. And that's awesome. I don't have to be condemned. I can rejoice that he has more for us, right? 
Dylan talked about this, the point of his presence. He said that's, that's, the, that's where we're headed in eternity. That's the point of all this is God's presence is here today. Like he is speaking this. God is coming. This isn't my sermon. He is right here extending a hand to experience his presence, right? To see this, to receive this, right? We want to love God wholeheartedly, do the great commandment. Anyone tried that on their own strength and realized you can't do it? Like literally, it's like the most impossible commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Literally impossible. Like we, we get like barely 1% of that on our own strength. But I, I remember years ago just discovering this simple key. First John four nineteen says we love because he first loved us. It's just a super simple key to doing great commandment. If you want to have a wholehearted love for God, like really, if you want to have a wholehearted love for him, and notice that it's love. We read the great commandment, and we read it as though it says, serve the Lord your God. Be religious for the Lord your God with everything. You see that he's actually desiring love. He doesn't need more servants. He's got countless angels that serve him and do his bidding, right? What do we see? The description is it's a father to children. It is a bridegroom to his bride. You may be single in the natural, but every person in here, if you're married, you are betrothed to Jesus. You are married to Jesus. And at the end of our life, we are headed for a wedding. We are headed to the marriage supper of the Lamb, where the chief, most primary desire and longing of our souls, whether you feel that way all, all times or not, will be, long, will be fulfilled in your bridegroom, in your husband. Like this is what God desires. He desires a people to actually love him not just serve him, not just perform, like to really just love him, to enjoy him, to delight in him, right? If you desire, um, if you delight in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. And guess what? We all see that the world doesn't have that, right? Your relationships, your job, your hobbies, literally that can be taken away from you, not just when you die, that can be taken away from you now, right? Some of you experience that level of loss. And if all you did was invest your life in those things and not in your Lord, whew, that's a whole different level of pain, right? So what are, we, what are we wasting our life on? What are we investing our life on? Is it in the Lord? Is it in love? And so the key is like, he just wants us to receive his love. And the more that I have chosen through courage, like through bravery to actually let God love me, through humility, like it's hard to do that. But the more I've chosen to do that, the more there's just a natural overflow of the love of God in my life. Um, I may preach on that, and, and we'll see how, how much more we go with that. Um, um, oh, yeah, yeah. So second thing, so why did we read John 7? It was like the third or fourth scripture choice. Um, also this morning in our Sunday morning prayer, um, it was so fun. Um, Michelle leading us and just like, you know, we started with just a recording of just, hey, what are the different names of God? Just listening to all these names of God. And one that stuck out was that he's a river of living water. Um, and so that was in my sermon, which is cool. Um, actually, Victoria, show that uh, like third to last slide or fourth to last slide. Jeremiah 2. There's two different slides. Um, Jeremiah 2 um, has a cool, super religious words, idolatry versus consecration. It sounds like real, like, whoa spiritual meat. Um, <laughs> idolatry is just simple. It's just going after anything that's not God. It's just, it's just spending your life on anything that's not God. It's putting something that's not God as the most important thing in your life. It's getting your life out of order. Consecration is the opposite. It's saying, I'm actually detaching from things that are not God to be set apart, for, to devote my life to God, right? And so he addresses this in his people Israel in Jeremiah 2, 
And this is after he has delivered them from Egypt. This is after they've experienced the salvation of God and so many signs and wonders and miracles along the way. Yet, even as they go into the, well, before they get to the promised land, in the wilderness, they continue to turn. Even as they go into the promised land, they receive God's miracles and mercy and grace again. Yet, once again, over and over and over again, they go after worthless idols. So he says this, he says, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth. Your love is the bride. How you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Right? There is a place where we've all experienced this delight in this love of God and salvation. We've stepped into the new receiving of this love. But if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, you realize there's still part of your flesh. There's still something in you that even though you've tasted and seen God as good, you only go to sin in the world because it's appealing. There's something in you that is still craving other things, right? So this is what he says, the next slide in Jeremiah 2.13, as he continues to go on rebuking his people. He describes it like this. This is the Lord speaking. He says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And I remember reading that. Actually, I heard it in a song. I was singing it. I went up and looked at it in the scripture. Um, I remember reading that and thinking it's kind of like one thing. Like when I first read that, it was like two evils. Like they went after idols. Like they first and they went after idols. It seems like one action. And so I was praying and asking the Lord about that one day. And I felt like he just really clued me into, okay, what's the structure of the sentence? What's the structure? And it says, they have forsaken me. Action number one. There's a clear distinction there. We could just say this is all kind of one thing, right? But no, there's a clear distinction for a reason. It's because we have a relational God. It's because we have a loving God. It's because we have a God that wants to pour out his love and his affection on us. And to simply, simply just, like, the, the, the first inkling of turning away from him is already a thing that you've forsaken me. You've forgotten the love you had at first, right? This is Revelation 2 when Jesus addresses a church in Ephesus. He's, this is like a pretty good report card. Like, you're faithful. You are enduring for my namesake. You're rejecting false teaching. You're doing all this good stuff. Good job. But you've forgotten the love you had at first. Repent, turn back, or I want nothing else from you, right? The Lord is desiring love, right? And the second thing is that we're going after broken cisterns. We go after these broken things, these things that seem like they're going to satisfy us in life, even good things. For most of us, yes, there is sin, there is junk, there is things like pornography that I've been addicted to for large parts of my life. There is wasted things, but a lot of it's even good things, right? Good things that I'm turning to, right? Fulfillment in ministry and in living for God's purposes, like my wife and my kids, right? Good things, fun hobbies, things that I like to do with my time, right? Um, I mean, honestly, like I think some of my biggest idols are just the best things in life. That's probably all of us. But still, they're broken cisterns that can't hold water. There is a fountain of living water that never runs dry. And that is what we're made for. And so the Lord is desiring for us. So this was highlighted. And so we just started praying into this and that invitation in John 7 that Jesus says, if you're thirsty, come to me. If you're thirsty, there will be living water that can flow from within. If you believe and if you come to me, if you drink of me, there's a fountain that will never run dry, that will never leave you empty, that will always satisfy. And this is what we're made for. And so there's a funny couple images that were shared as we were praying. I was like, I'm going to write these down. 
Um, Rita talked about, I think in her words, she's a perpetually dehydrated person. <laughs> she doesn't drink a lot of water. And she just talked about, like, it's so silly sometimes. It's like we can wait to the point of dehydration to then take a drink. But then at that point, it's like we can't get enough water, right? And there's a lot of times where it's like, oh, she says, like, oh, I'm kind of thirsty. But sometimes even with that little kind of inkling of, oh, I'm kind of thirsty, like, still we don't take a drink. Like, we know the one thing we need, but still sometimes, like, foolishly, we just don't drink water throughout the day until we're just dehydrated. And even when you realize that about yourself, you just stay kind of in that habit, right? And this is our relationship a lot of times with the Lord and with the world and with our flesh, right? Is every day you're going to wake up drifting. It doesn't matter how much you desired God yesterday. Like, as soon as you wake up, your flesh, the world, and the devil are throwing everything at you to pull you away from God. And that is going to be your natural bent. Every single way I wake up drifting from God, and I have to come position myself back to that fountain of living waters, right? I have to come back and drink of this Jesus. I know this is the one thing that satisfies, right? And so we're going to come back to that in a second. But what's important is the consistency in that. The consistency in that, right? So Matt shared this picture, you know, a river of, of water as it flows. Over time, erosion happens, and it begins to actually shape the land, right? I think we've all heard probably the Grand Canyon illustration, like this largest canyon that was shaped by water over time, right? So the, the trick is in this devotional life is we're like an instant results people, and so we want one day to change our whole life. We want one quiet time to change your whole life, and I wholeheartedly believe every day I show up to word, worship, and prayer, I'm expecting to experience. God. I'm expecting it to be meaningful, but large parts of my life, it's dry. It's, 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 it's boring. It's, it's, I don't feel like I'm feeling God or I'm hearing him or I'm sensing him. And once again, I teach on these things in our discipleship school, and still this is the experience of my life. It's not always glory and glamour, right? So the importance is consistency, right? Is that every day as we show up to this river of living water, it's the consistency of making that choice over time that the transformation begins to happen. Just as a river begins to shape the land and the riverbanks and it, it, it transforms the dry soil, right? It's over time that we get to experience a lifelong life in Jesus where we continually be satisfied. And the more we're satisfied in him, the more we begin to do the consecration part, the more we begin to break off these idols. Um, yeah, let me go ahead and launch into this one now, this point. So I don't think we have a slide for this other than just the scripture. Most of my slides are just scriptures. Um, but this is one of those challenges is in spiritual dryness, is in an idolatry. Um, a few examples of my life from what this has looked like. Hopefully this is a little practical and not just me continuing to preach without illustrations and things, which I'm supposed to do. Um, but a few examples of my life is what does idolatry and consecration looked like? All right, so I remember early in my life um, when I was a freshman in college, I was 18, 19, man, I was just chasing after girls and I was just like going after relationships and just like looking for satisfaction, looking for fulfillment, right? Like, and that was like emotionally, physically, I was just a consumer there and I was desperate. Now I had just become a Christian. I was like a baby Christian, been walking with the Lord for about a year, but I remember just the emptiness I would feel after broken relationship, after broken relationship. And I remember the Lord um, really, I was, I was just going on a drive one night, just like wrestling with my sin. I felt like the Lord really highlighted like very simple idea, but for like a, you know, one-year-old Christian who's a teenager, you know, this is pretty profound. I felt like the Lord say like, you need me. Like I am the relationship that you need. Like you need to stop dating. You just be single. Right. And so I remember it was like, okay, I'm committing to be single, to like not talk to girls, to not try to date. Like I'm going to give up relationships. Like I'm just going to learn to 
love God. I'm going to learn to like walk with him. I'm going to learn to invest in that relationship. And even as I met my now wife, just a few moments later, like literally that was like, I'm all in, I'm consecrated. That was like three months of being single. And then I met my wife and I was like, yes, Lord, we're back. Um, And so, but it's great. It's a great part of the story. We broke up twice before we got married, right? So still, and I'm believing that, that made our marriage stronger, right? It's still, we had to learn even as we got back into relationship. Like I learned something then. I'm going to come back to like the power of that three month period of my life. I'm, well, I might come back to it. I don't know how much this sermon you're going to get. Um, like, that was huge transformation in my life in that time. But it was like three months as like an 18, 19-year-old. And then we started dating. And once again, realizing like, oh, it's still so easy to go back to this relationship for it to be unhealthy. For us to go right back to putting each other in the place that only God can meet. The needs that I'm looking for in this relationship that only God can satisfy. Or the needs that she's looking to me that I'm kind of tired of. And so <laughs> and I broke up with her, not in the best way. But, you know, it was mutual. She broke up with me once. I broke up with her once. Right? But, like, we just realized that you get burnt out real fast by broken cistern and broken cistern. Right? Like, like it's just not going to work. And so we had to learn again. Like, Lord, I'm consecrated. Like, my life is for you and for nobody else, right? And I remember after we broke up for a few months and I was praying, we kind of reconnected. So once again, only a few months is about as long as I can make it. But she's awesome. I always wanted to marry her. Um, But I remember as I was, like, asking the Lord a closed-ended question, so discipleship moment, open-ended questions are a little bit better. I was asking the Lord a closed-ended question, like, Lord, should I get back together with Lacey or not? Like, is that the thing or is it not? And I still remember clearly hearing the Lord. And I don't really believe in, like, hearing God. I still, you know, forget that he speaks sometimes. Um, But I still remember clearly hearing the Lord say, I just want your heart. I want to be the one to sit on the throne of your heart. And it got so clear to me in that moment. And this was, like, not glory quiet time. I was actually, like, I was working at the college rec center. I was waiting for an interview for a promotion. Like, I was just literally sitting there in the lobby. But, like, guess what? We can hear God all the time. Like, we can walk with him. You go from your quiet time to your abiding life. Abiding life doesn't work if you don't have a quiet time. If you don't start your day correcting that drift and getting filled up with God, then it's not going to work that well. But if you get filled up with God in the morning, then you're much more sensitive and attuned to him throughout the day. Right? So there's a little principle there. Um, that was in the sermon somewhere. But I remember just sitting there, and the Lord was saying this. It was so clear. It's like, you know what? To be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus, the circumstances of life don't matter a whole lot. It's about being surrendered. It's about being consecrated. It's about saying, Lord, I'm going to be obedient to you. And that flows out of love. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Right? And that, that can feel burdensome if we don't have the love of God in us. That can feel burdensome if we don't realize that his commands are just about helping us stay in his love. It's like, actually, if you break my commands, if you go after these sins, you're just not going to experience my love. So the commands are just to help us stay in his love and actually, like, live free and, and, and satisfied. And so the Lord was saying, like, you can marry Lacey. You can marry somebody else. You can be single. You can be dating. It doesn't matter. If I'm not on the throne of your heart, then that's, that's secondary. Primary is I've got to be the one that captivates your heart. You were made for me, right? So another few examples is, uh, you know, in the place of media, also kind of college, you know, like just realizing like, man, I spent a large part of my life playing video games. I'm pretty good. These are pretty fun. This is pretty awesome. But I was also learning like, you know, the Bible does satisfy. Like it's pretty good sometimes. Like I do want to be like all in on Jesus. And I remember like just the Lord convicting me at times about, man, what I spend my time on and not only how much I spend on it, but even like what am I filling myself with? Like music and movies and TVs. What is the junk that I am letting get into me? You know, those are like forms of meditation. 
We don't really think of it in those terms. But music is like, it's like a, uh, I get right brain, left brain mixed up. But it's like a creative way to meditate. Think about that. And so there's different times in my life where it's like just new level of conviction, right? Oh, you know, that was kind of dirty. I don't think I should listen to that anymore. So like, uh, this is where I draw the boundary line. But then I realized like a year later, I'm a little bit more mature. It's like, oh, actually, you know what? That's, that's not super good for me. I'm going to draw that line back. And like, once again, there's grace for you. If you just get into comparing yourself with each other, hopefully there's a little bit of inspiration from that. But we just got to be okay with where we are. To where 10 years from now, the stuff that I think is clean that I'll engage with like, is very different than where I'm at now. But I continue to draw the line again and again to the point where I just got rid of all secular music. Like, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to worship and just realize that, like, just worship, just Jesus, stuff that fills my life in him is worth it. I remember when we got married, we had no job. She hadn't started grad school yet. We had a whole summer where we weren't jumping into life group yet. Ooh, we had a lot of time to spend together. Video games became an idol real clear, real real fast. The guy had to sell all those video games in the first few months of our marriage, just realizing like, ooh, even my bride is like in competition with video games. Like I just think about this. I'd rather be doing this. We spent all day together. I'm kind of bored. Oh my gosh, that's, a, that's an earthly bride who's imperfect. What about Jesus, my bridegroom, the perfect one, the level of competition there? Like, oh my goodness. So having to get rid of video games, we've gotten rid of TVs at times. We have run the gambit in terms of media and just how quickly we run to that as those broken cisterns, those empty fountains that hold no water. Um, a couple other examples. So talking about a quiet time, so consecrating my bedtime, consecrating my morning, saying, Lord, if I want to spend time with you in the morning, that means I got to go to bed early. And, and sometimes people don't like that. <laughs> sometimes people like it's so early like well, come on let's hang out let's go to, let's not go to bed or but like you know if I got to get up early especially now with like young kids that are waking up you know it just means that every decision has a place of intentionality and in how it helps me follow Jesus even what time I wake up in the morning which means what time I go to bed at night, which means even this awesome workout group in our neighborhood that Richard invited me to it's just like you know what I just it's getting in the way. So even my workout routine in the morning and sometimes not getting to work out like I want to do because I needed that a little extra time. I need longer time. I have a desperate need, right? So love will sustain you. Love will fulfill you in God. But it's also good to know just your need. Every day I just need God. And I just realize the more I'm responsible for, the more life gets fuller and fuller, the more I just desperately need to put first things first. So consecrating your morning, consecrating your bedtime, right? How you end and start your day. And the last example, this is a recent one. I felt like the Lord called me to consecrate my car. So basically, you know, this is in a season a few years ago where I was, you know, first we were living in Garland and I was driving all the way out to DBU to do college ministry and then driving all the way back through traffic in Dallas or then we moved to Cedar Hill and I was driving all the way up to this church for services or staff meetings. So spending a lot of time driving. Sometimes it's just an hour to get from house to work. Um, in the car, and I realized that the times when I was most tired and most wiped out to be at the end of the day and most felt like I just needed a break was the times I was most desiring to just, like, listen to sports radio and just, like, entertain myself with something that I was interested in. And I felt like the Lord just so clearly convicted me, not from, like, how evil that that is, but just from the place of need of, like, you know what? When I drive and I'm just, like, so mentally wiped and that's just all I fill myself with, it adds nothing to my soul 
I'm not any more arrested. It contributes nothing to this college ministry when I go from my car to this discipleship meeting. It contributes nothing to this church when I come to a staff meeting. It certainly contributes nothing when I go home at the end of the day and I step into my house with my wife and kids. That gained, I gained nothing from that. And the Lord so clearly spoke. He said, just consecrate your car. Anytime I'm in my car now, I have a simple rule that it is strictly for just being with God. I, that can be in his word, that could be worshiping, that could be praying and thinking about the things of the life and asking the Lord in. Or when I was in pure desire, I would just do check-in calls, right? So I'm either going to meet with God or I'm going to be ministering with the fellowship of believers, right? I'm going to call somebody, right? I'm going to be on the phone and just like, hey, how are you doing? Pray for each other, right? I just had to consecrate that time. And you know what? When you realize how much God loves you and when you've tasted and seen a little bit of consistency in devotional life and you're experiencing the Lord, all that legalism stuff flows right out the window. Like, I don't care about legalism. I don't wrestle with it. If you're sitting here thinking this is legalism, I have good news. When you live surrendered and consecrated, you will never feel so free. You, if you want a consistent and vibrant devotional life in the Lord, you have to realize that you're positioning yourself up to receive from him. It's all that he is pouring out, but you have to position yourself and you have to be self-aware enough to realize that you need to put in boundaries to keep you from these broken cisterns. You need rules. You need intentions, right? So you cannot separate the vibrancy of life in Jesus from the consistency of showing up again and again and again. Um, I want to just share a few other examples from my life. Um, so going back a little bit, like I said, this is going to be very non-linear. It just came from a prayer and prophetic conference. So the joke was, if anybody can handle non-linear conversations, it's these prophetic people. So you're getting a little taste of that this morning. Um, but I want to go back. Victoria, if you can just go to that slide that has that like six bullet point list. I remember, so if you're in the place of like, okay, I'm in, like great, but when I show up, what do I do, right? And so I remember one of the first obstacles, um, actually this is going to be out of order. Um, but let's say number two, one of the first obstacles for me as a brand new believer was just like simply how to read, understand, and enjoy the Bible. Like Maybe you've forgotten if you've been a Christian for a long time. There's no other books that have a numbering system like this. No other books that's like a book of multiple books and there's all these numbers and lines. Like, what is John 6, 34? I remember going to Sunday school or youth group as a senior in high school and being like, why don't we just have a page number? Why can't you just say turn to page 700, right? What is John? What, I, I did, literally didn't know like chapter, verse. Like literally I, had to, I was like that level of starting from scratch and like reading the Bible, right? And so I remember like it was just so foreign. It was hard to read the Bible, right? And I felt super self-conscious because there's like four-year-olds in this church that like know more about the Bible than me. Um, you know, these little church punk kids that this is all they know and bless them. Uh, but it's like, man, what the heck? Um, I feel like I should know more. This is humiliating. And so, you know, I remember, like, trying to read the Bible and just, like, not being about it. But I was at a good church that was, like, saying, hey, quiet times are important. Like, you need to be doing this. And so I remember the summer after I got saved, summer after senior year, we were doing a VBS. And we had this memory verse for this kids. And because I was in the youth, they're like, you're going to serve. And so they put me in the sports room, which was really good for them to know, have some discernment. This guy should not... You know, he doesn't need to teach kids. Um, he doesn't need to be a group leader. Just put him in the sports room. Uh, he still needs a lot of sanctification. But we would quiz him on the memory verse. And the memory verse was James 1.5. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should just ask God who gives freely and generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. And it was like a light bulb moment. Maybe I had never read a verse about you can ask God for something. And like he actually responds and stuff. It's the first time I had heard that. And it was like the Holy Spirit light bulb moment of, okay. I can just ask God. 
And so this is a very simple practice, but every day I would show up, and before I read, I would just ask, God, can you help me understand this? Like, God, can you give me wisdom? Can you just help it make sense? Can you help me enjoy this? And later on, I discovered that Ephesians 1.17, that Holy Spirit, that wisdom of revelation, the Father wants to give you that to open your eyes, to see him, to know him. Not just to have wisdom, but to know him and love him, right? Eternal life is knowing God. That's what Jesus prays. And so I just developed a prayer life of praying for God to speak to me through his word. And like I said, that happened about the time I decided to stop dating and chasing girls and spending my time messing around with girls. And so simultaneously to a consecration decision was a breakthrough that, man, my quiet times, like actually like there was just massive breakthrough of all of a sudden I just love to sit and read the Bible. And God was speaking to me and it was just like awesome. I just enjoyed it, right? I remember just hours on my living room floor just reading the Bible. Right, So I can't underemphasize the prayer of asking God to speak to you, showing up with expectation, but it has to take commitment. Like I had to keep coming back for that to happen, right? Um, let me back up a little bit. So a little later in my life, you know, it's like, okay, I know God loves me. And if you're talking about this, okay, we're supposed to receive God's love and everything that flows from that in our life is we have to experience the desire of God. We have to position ourselves to receive it. Man, I really struggle with believing God's love, with feeling it, with experiencing that. I feel like most of us in this room can probably resonate with that. I came to the Lord and I was like, yes, life and death, meaning and purpose, like all the questions I've been wrestling with are answered in Jesus. But like relationship, love, intimacy, like that was just so foreign to me. And I could kind of believe that God loves the whole world, so he sent Jesus to save us. But like me? Like does he really love me individually? I really wrestled with that. And I remember one time reading Romans 5, 8. It says, for God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I had heard and at least believed, at least half-heartedly, that the Bible is true. It's reliable. That, like you can, you can trust it. And so I, I remember reading that and just saying, you know what? If this is what the Bible says, then I just gotta believe it, right? And so I committed to saying, God, you don't have to prove anything else. I don't need some experience or some feeling today for you to prove that you love me. The word says you proved it on the cross. And so once again, the key, I just took that verse, I just memorized it, I meditated on it, I prayed it over and over again. I've, some of you have probably heard me quote that verse in most of these verses a bunch of times. Um, I'm also not like super strict on Bible memory. Like if you just read it a lot and pray it a lot, like I can't tell you how much of the scripture I've memorized that wasn't from a flashcard. Now some of you, it's like your brain works differently, you need the flashcards, I have those. But I'm just saying like if you ingest the word, if you come with prayer and desire, like the Lord will put it on your heart and it'll change you. Like it changed me just simply believing the Bible and praying and asking God to help me believe it. What happens is faith comes from hearing the word. So the more I heard the word, the Lord authored faith, and now I walk in the fullness of God's love for me. And there's still more for me to receive. It's not like I feel it every day, but I believe it. There's a faith that's not dependent on anything in my life other than God said it and it's true. And he proved it on the cross right? So once again, you continue to show up. You continue to let the Lord do what you can't do. Um, what are the other bullet points? Do I have them on this? Oh, I have notes. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're going to wrap up soon, but doubts, 
Sin, once again, is a very similar principle. We just keep showing up, right? I love what Peter says. After a hard teaching, many disciples were walking away. And so Jesus turned to Peter and said, are you guys going to walk away too? And Peter said, Lord, we've come to know and believe that you are the Messiah. You hold the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? There has been some seasons in my life where I've seriously wrestled with, not is God real, but like, are you really good? Like all this suffering and all this sin, like this was your plan from the beginning. Like you knew Jesus was going to go to the cross. Not everybody's going to be going to believe in him. Like, how can I reconcile this? And you know what I did? I just resolved that I tasted the world. There's no else for me to go. Even if I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place of this disappointment in God, this pain in God, right, this doubt in the Lord, I've got nowhere else to turn. So I'm going to keep showing up. Every day I continue to read my Bible and wrestle with God. I would go to church and I wouldn't want to sing the words because I felt disingenuous. So I would just pray and I would listen to the lyrics and I would just say, God, show me something. God, help me to see your goodness. Like I just stayed authentic and humble and honest when I showed up to small group. I, I, I was honest and genuine, but I still continue to show up, realizing there's nowhere else for me to turn. Life is in God alone. So even in your pain and your disappointment and your anger at the Lord, he can take it, right? 40 per, no, probably like 80% of my sermon was going to be Mary of Bethany. Right? I'm not going to do that. But you see between Luke 10, where she chooses the one thing that's necessary. Martha's distracted. She chooses to sit at Jesus' feet. We go to John 12, Mark 14, Matthew 26, where she is pouring out oil and anointing Jesus. And it's the only time Jesus ever said someone did something beautiful for him. It's the only time he said that wherever the gospel is preached, this is going to be remembered. I mean, significant story, right? Like Jesus so was moved. Like he received her love and her delight. He was so moved by that that he said, this is a beautiful thing. Like God, he loves beautiful things, beautiful acts of devotion. What, and guess what? The disciples in the room were scolding her, both instances. Most of the time, your radical, wasted, devotional life on God, you're going to be scolded by your family and other Christians. Like it's not going to make sense, right? But that's what we're made for, and it's good, and it's right. And it's the only thing worthy. But in between those stories is when her brother Lazarus dies, and it's the one time that there's a hesitation we see in Mary of Bethany. That John 11 story is that when Jesus comes, she, Martha gets up and runs to him, but Mary stays seated. And then she hears, but what's next? Mary, Martha comes back and says, the Lord's calling for you. And then she gets up and runs, right? She's seen enough in Jesus to sit at his feet when everybody else would tell her to get back where she belongs, right? She's seen enough that when she hears him call, she knows, okay, yeah, this is the one thing necessary. So she runs to him. And the first thing she says, Lord, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. We sent you a letter days ago, and you stayed and you waited. If you were here, he would not have died. So there's faith. She's still believing him, but she's, she's broken. She's disappointed. She's angry at God. And in that moment, this is what I was going to have John read. Our reading was going to be, was going to be the shortest verse of the Bible. Jesus wept. Um, in that moment, when Mary comes to him and pours out her pain on him, when Jesus sees her pain, sees the pain of the Jews weeping around her, when he thinks of Lazarus dying, he weeps. And when you show up with your pain, with your disappointment, with your dryness, with your doubt, with your misunderstandings, with your apathy, when you show up genuinely to, the, to God every single opportunity you get, there's an opportunity to experience the God who weeps for you a God of compassionate love, a God who treasures up every tear in a bottle 
who treasures the prayers of the saints like incense in a bowl. He delights in every little thing we bring to him, as authentic and broken as we are. And she gets to experience that God who would actually weep, that Jesus that would weep for her. That actually cared, even though he knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he's not like a stoic God. He's not a cold God. He genuinely was moved. So much so that Mary sees that, she responds. And then so the next chapter is where we see her anointing Jesus with oil. He's been predicting his death, but no one gets it. The disciples didn't get it. But she chose the one thing. She had a practice of sitting at his feet. She then experienced running to him in her pain, right? There's consistency that led to vibrancy that what happens? The overflow of her life is the most beautiful story in the Bible, in my opinion. The overflow of our life, if we, you want to have a vibrant devotional life in God, it's simply about continuing to show up day in, day out, despite what's going on in your life. And not what you can muster up. It's not about your effort and your desire. We're always going to feel condemned by that. But we just show up authentically broken before the Lord, and we get to experience his love, his desire, his delight. And that's what I feel like the Lord wants you to know today. If you will commit your life to showing up, you will experience that river of living water, that fountain that will never run dry, the thing you were made for. And the rest of the circles, our church will experience that overflow in each of our lives individually. The lost world will experience Christ in you, not just the things you can force yourself to do out of obligation. Now, we should share the gospel out of obligation. It's not just about how you feel, but the power is Christ in you. When you are full in God, there's a, it says that we're a pleasing aroma to the lost world. We're the fragrance of Christ. They're going to experience that Jesus, that love that's in you. So if the band could come up. I want to close, and I just I do want to give you a few practicals. That last slide is just a picture. We have a website called EncounterJesus.life. If you're like, this is great, but like I do need some help, we have a lot of resources here that are like pretty simple, just about how to have a quiet time, how to Sabbath, how to read the Word, how to pray, how to worship. So I just want to encourage you guys every day commit in some form of fashion to give your first fruits to God, to wake up and to start right in word, worship, prayer before the Lord. And as you go throughout the day, to stay abiding in him. And all that is not religion. It's not about proving something to God. Like you're not going to make your life great. We're just trying to position our lives to stay in his love, to stay in his life, right? And so if you need practical help, that's there. I want to point you to that. But I just want to pray for us as we close and just believe, you know, as I said, all those things that were highlighted in our run-through meeting was highlighted in our prayers that God is extending a hand, that there's a river of living water for you. So I just want to encourage you to respond, right? If that is you just singing your love for God and just pouring it back onto him, if you need to get on your face and fall at the feet of Jesus, like every one of those stories we see Mary doing, then do that. If you need prayer, our prayer and prophetic team is going to be come up here. I just want to encourage you that every single day you're going to fall short, but the best thing about my life and my devotional life is not that I'm not falling short. It's that every single day I have an opportunity to receive his grace, to show up broken, and to receive his love again. You just keep showing up. And so I'm just going to pray for us. And if you want to come be on our prayer and prophetic team or staff and elders, just have some people come up, prayer and prophetic team, if you could be ready to pray for us. But Lord, we just honor you. And I thank you for your love, Jesus. That God, you've proven your love for us. You've dealt with sin and suffering when we deserved your wrath. When the earth is broken and full of evil, you decided that you would suffer. You decided that you would take our sins so that we could have your life, Jesus. We could have your love, Lord. I thank you for the love that you pour out. I thank you that you weep for us, God, that you earnestly desire us to receive you. 
you're not asking anything from us this morning. You're not trying to take from us. You're not trying to use us. This invitation to a relationship with God is so much more about what you want for us than what you want from us. And so I pray today, Holy Spirit, you would help us to come authentically, come broken, and to say, Jesus, I need you to come with thirst that we could drink of a river of living water that's not far away, hard to reach. You don't have to ascend the holy hill of God. It's right within you. There's Holy Spirit in you. Would you awaken the Holy Spirit in us to bring love from within? Help us to experience you and to delight in you, Jesus, from the place of your delight over us. Would you help us build our lives on this, Lord? Would you help us to make a choice to do that today? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.